and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you, Dennis, and welcome, all of you. Uh, and uh, it's, it's um, a little intimidating for me to be here uh, because I want to make clear that I am not giving you advice Uh, So please don't take it. I'm just sharing, though, the tools that have worked for me over these many years. Um, I've been a sex addict since I was in my 20s. I couldn't stay away from uh, having affairs with women uh, and later with men. I was seeking, I finally found, to deal with my sense of unworthiness, unmanliness, uh, not being a good enough lover, and afraid that everyone would find out. So naturally, I went around trying to fall in love with all of these uh, women that I was uh, with, and unfortunately, uh, lost two marriages and almost my third. So uh, there's no doubt that I learned the basic points, which is (laughs) this is a progressive disease. I could not masturbate like a gentleman. I could drink like a gentleman and gamble, uh, not that I particularly was excited by those because I picked sexual acting out, but it's the same church, just a different pew. I needed to realize that um, this kind of disease is something that I could not control. It took me years, frankly, to uh, realize that this was not a threat to my masculinity or a sense of... um, Uh, uh, what a man should be doing in life. So after these many decades, it was in the year 2006 that I discovered SA and SAA. I'd had plenty of counseling and therapies, and I focused on trying to stay sober, negative sobriety, as the White Book warns. I felt it was very important that I couldn't make any progress as long as I wasn't uh, being physically sober, uh, and I learned that that did not work for me. It took me those nine years until the year 2015 to realize that I needed to use the tools of the program to conquer the big four, uh, if you will, the big four reasons and how to deal with them other than diverting and escaping into sex. And those four were anger and judgment, not only of others, that was easy, but of myself, which was more subtle. Uh, The sense of fear, worrying about the future. Would I be good enough? Will they discover me? Third, shame, unworthiness. Well, I touched on that already. And lastly, sadness, depression, feeling lonely. And I learned that if I wasn't dealing with those four, I would never be physically sober. So, uh, I think that, you know, if that's putting the horse before after the cart, which makes sense instead of vice versa. So here are the tools that I've used 
uh, to deal with all four of those. When it comes to anger and disappointment, I really would prefer to be happy rather than right. <laughs> when I'm in a discussion with my wife or others and I know I'm right, I would push through, but it's not worth the trouble because the other person is, is not going to change their mind, I've found. They're bound and determined. So the only thing I can do is start to think about how can I change how I feel about this? Because if I can't change them, uh, the only thing I can finally change, and even that takes time, is my reaction to it. What am I going to do about it? Uh, so it helps me to remember that when someone is irritating or unfair or mean, I'm taking it personally. I think they're actually attacking me. Uh, whereas, in fact, they're just about emotionally at that moment, about six years old. And uh, uh, I remember when my kids were young and they would throw tantrums and, Daddy, I don't love you and all. Uh, of course, it didn't change my feelings about them. And I realized that this, too, really does pass. And if the matter is all that important, I can always come back to it a later time, a sort of quiet persistence. <laughs> of course, sometimes that drives people nuts, but that's just the way I'm built. And as long as I'm not challenging, you know, I want to feel good. And if I do that, then I have a much better chance of staying sober. That's the key thing there for me. Uh, so, so from that point of view, uh, I sort of want to be when I make mistakes and I blame myself and I'm feeling that kind of shame. I think of a torpedo. You know, a torpedo is almost constantly off course, but it has a little gyroscope in there that corrects it moment to moment to moment. But the torpedo doesn't say to itself, gee, you made another mistake, you asshole. You're, you're, you're not a good torpedo. You know? And it finally, inevitably, gets to its goal. So I kind of like to think that way. Uh, another example, <laughs> I was in the car the other day and I made a wrong turn and my GPS unit said, uh, course correction, uh, just as simple as that. And that's, you know, I need to think less and <laughs> often talk less and listen more. So it helps me realize that it's their pain they're going through and I can afford not to be angry and judgmental because Frankly, it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't change them. It's a totally useless tool. Now, when it comes to being angry at myself and disappointed, I have to use another tool of the program, and I've chosen to use the uh, uh, higher power tool because, for me, if I can't do it myself, frankly, I've found that therapists and even my sponsor, friends, aren't enough. Uh, so I image that there is a God who loves me, that treats me as his magnificent child, regardless of what I've done or not done, kind of like I tried to do if I had been living with them, uh, with my kids when they were young. Uh, fortunately, I've been able to make amends on all of that, but I realized that no matter what they're up to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my love. And I try and ask God for a nudge if I'm puzzled as to what to do next. I, if I'm feeling attacked or sad or afraid or deprived, I ask him to kind of like a buddy, well, just reassure me that you're on my side, that you know what would be best if I would just listen, that you're going to be pretty damn quiet about it and awfully mysterious 
and it's not going to feel good sometimes. I used to challenge the idea of God with all the so-called evils and bad things in the world that have gone on for the centuries. And my sponsor gave me an interesting analogy. He said, you know, when you were two years old, did you ever get to go to the doctors? I said, yes, I did. And I remember that with my loving parents in hand, this chap in a white coat took out a needle that looked as big as a horse needle and stuck it in my arm, and it hurt like hell. I mean, there was no way I could understand that this was good for me. And frankly, that's the way the world is built, up, down, uh, and my job is to learn to kind of roll with it like a, a, like a scary roller coaster in a fight. Trusting, trusting that it's going to come out all right. I, I thought of the other day that if I don't understand God or disagree with him even 40% of the time, that means he's right and useful 60% of the time. If there was a casino in Las Vegas that gave me 60% odds, I'd mortgage the house and get out there right away. So it seems to me I just need to not expect perfection and reasonableness in anything in life uh, uh, right away or even consistently. And it helps me to just remember that. Sometimes it's good to just sort of hit, sit here a while and see what happens. An old line from a favorite movie of mine. Uh, and, and to me, the thing of, of the ability to follow through on something like that is to try and to develop the fact that every now and then I'm going to get a pop quiz. Like in school, God will give me a pop quiz. The other day I was in the Price Chopper store and I picked what I thought was the shortest line, but no, the fellow ahead of me had to check his coupons, and then he couldn't do this, and he had trouble doing that, and I could feel my impatience rising. And I know that's dangerous to my sobriety. So I, again, looked up kind of metaphorically, and I said, oh, hey, God, I get it. My job is to sit still, breathe, and wait, just like if I'm at a red light, you know, with my car, um, especially so if, they, if they're taking photographs, if I were to turn. So I might as well just sit still and, and, and relax with it or just practice it. Uh, it's easier sometimes said than done, obviously, just like I guess everything is. Um, so from that point of view, I am praying for not things to change, but for me to change. And I learned recently that I have to say thank you in advance of seeing the results. It's sort of like I'm assuming he's going to work, and I'm going to say thank you anyway, because if I don't uh, believe it first, I won't see it. I used to think, if I see it, I'll believe it. And then I realized that's pretty screwed up thinking. It doesn't work. Uh, and by the way, let me add that I'm not a particularly traditionally religious person. In fact, I really don't care if God exists or not. He's an assumption that makes my life feel safer, stronger, and happier. So from that point of view, it's, it's a form of total uh, existence. The other thing I try to do uh, more and more of is to just notice, especially when I'm feeling sad or lonely or depressed, things aren't going right. Well, let's see. I'm very fortunate because I live with five cats, <laughs> and a couple of them are very affectionate, so I can pet a nearby cat or feel the warmth of the bed or the weather, 
Uh, I look forward to my special coffee in the morning and a book to return to. One of the blessings of sobriety has been able to develop a couple of old uh, uh, hobbies of mine that I've been neglecting. Uh, and, and, of course, that's a blessing of sobriety, which is a good thing. Uh, and to look forward and to say thank you, even out loud, if preferably, if, even if no one is around, or especially if someone's around, wouldn't want to embarrass them. But uh, just acting as if, you know, I, I think this whole damn thing after all these years is like a play. I'm in a play, and I'm on stage, and I'm front row center, and I can't leave the theater. That's, that's the trade-off. Uh, so I better just appreciate what's going on and act as if that fake it till I make it. I used to kind of grind my teeth at that phrase. Eh, it doesn't sound real. It doesn't. And then I realized, well, if I were an actor, I'm expecting to do that, and I expect to adopt the role, and then I will feel the role, and eventually it will be me, and that's their business. Well, that's my business too, um, because I want to focus on and assume that something good is going to happen, and like a mystery play, it's my job to find it, you know, like the needle in the haystack or the pony in the mess of shit that's on my desk Christmas morning. Uh, so I do believe in the so-called law of attraction. Whatever I pay attention to, whatever my mind is pulled toward, I wish I had more control of it, but it gets pulled. But the problem is if I'm pulled to negative thinking for very long, that's what I'm going to experience more and more of. The more I fight it, the more I try to resist it, the stronger the feeling of negativity stays. Uh, and again, this is just old knowledge. I finally, I guess, beginning to try to use it. Uh, it's all in the book. Um, but it's, to me, very important because whether I like it or not, whatever I'm obsessing on or thinking about or planning is more likely to increase simply because I'm paying attention to it. My subconscious doesn't hear when I say, I don't want this, and I don't want that, and I don't want to act out, and I don't want to masturbate, and I don't want to take a second look at that person down the street. Lo and behold, I'm doing all of those things if I keep in that same attitude. Fortunately, I'm beginning to learn that by using these tools, uh, that's the kind of thing I don't have to do anymore. When it comes to anger and criticism, uh, Again, it's, it's, I realize I do the same darn thing. I had a driver cut me off the other day. Oh, it was, it was immediate, quick reaction. What a, you know, what a son of a bitch. And then I went through three little thoughts that I've kind of been, been playing with. One is, gee, thank God he didn't hit me. Secondly, dear God, please don't let him hit somebody else. And third, I wonder if he's... Well, let me tell you a true story. In 1955, when I was 14, my mother uh, drank some carbon tetrachloride. Maybe by mistake, she might have thought it was gin. But the fact is, she said to me, we got to get to the hospital. So we drove from Riverside, Connecticut to Greenwich, which takes about 20 minutes, broke every red light in my memory. Lord knows what other people were thinking, and we didn't even pick up a cop car. So it occurred to me, gee, suppose that cutoff guy, the guy that's really running in front of me yesterday or the day before, 
What if there's a sick child in the family? What if his wife is ill? What if he just got some awful news? I'll never know. But I might be right. And by the time I've gone through all that thinking, it seems a little bit difficult for me to get irritated anymore. So road rage is something I'm grateful for because I seem to have at least done that one fairly well. I've got a lot to learn on the other items, but uh, then it comes to the question of forgiveness of self. Because when I can't do all of these wonderful good things, uh, I need to be, if you will, gentle, realizing that mistakes are inevitable and even desirable, you know, along the lines of the old George Burns movie, uh, Oh God, you can't make it up without a down, night without day, and so forth and so on. Everything is in duality. Uh, and then I realized I can, I'm in the play, I'm in the movie, I can do a retake uh, so that um, uh, it, it need not be something that takes me over and makes me so upset that I'm going to sink into fantasization, sink into acting out. Oh, and let me tell you, even after three and a half years of this sobriety, I still get fantasies. I still get temptations. That's because I'm a sex addict. They will never end. That's the tool God is using for me to get to pay attention to him. I seem to be so bullheaded, I don't find it easy to find other ways to simply think of, of that kind of solution and power and friendliness uh, from a disembodied spirit. I find that it helps me to kind of think of God as a buddy, you know, like in the, in the step 11 of the step into action, which is a wonderful piece in that particular new book. Uh, he's a buddy sitting in the seat next to me in the car, my shoulders near his, and he's listening. What a blessing. Not many people listen, especially me. <laughs> But he will, and I can talk to him out loud and share feelings and, and, and desires and, and kind of check in. Is this really the best thing to do? Maybe it's best to do less. Slow down. That's what I need to do. Uh, I've been racing along here, it seems to me, um, and not pausing to take a breath. I try to take breaths when there's a red light in front of me at the car, but uh, I don't always remember. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, I've got a whole lifetime left, I trust, uh, to, to do better at all of these neat things and to be very pleased and grateful for the little bit that I've got. So uh, I realized that it was patience that took me this far. Years ago, I was told it took five years to get sober, then another five years to really avoid the, 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 the blowback and the, um, the reaction for that. And I was intimidating. I thought, my God, that, that is a long commitment. Thank God I'm still here to say that it, it's worth it. Made the amends to my kids, my grandkids. They love to see me now. Uh, and um, to me, that's a blessing as well that... Uh, I can't get back those earlier years, but you know, if I could have, I would have. So it's time to forgive myself for all of that old shame and unworthiness feeling, because that's not how God sees it. And he'd like me to agree with him. I mean, if I didn't agree with him, if I thought I was worthless and he didn't, it almost sounds blasphemous. Or at least it's fun for me to play around with the thought. 
So from my point of view, God is really the best part of me, in effect, in me, and, and willing to forgive and be compassionate like the little kid I used to be, and, and uh, curious and open and trusting. And the times that it doesn't work out, fine. There'll be another time to practice later. But in the meantime, it, it seems to me that uh, I'm, I'm very blessed, and I appreciate you all uh, listening to, to me. Um, but until I focused on dealing with anger, judgment, fear, shame, and sadness first, only then could I begin to get physically sober. And I'm very grateful to have uh, so far been able to do that short as it seems when I look at other people with five and ten years sobriety. That's dangerous. Competition ain't good <laughs> in that area because then it just affects me poorly or disappointedly and so forth. So, Dennis, thank you again, and uh, I'll return you all to the meeting for sharing. I appreciate your attention and your listening. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.